text of this sermon is the familiar Christmas passage in the book of Luke chapter 2. I'll read the verses following verse 22 through verse 35. So we'll begin reading at Luke 2 verse 22. I have um, been here when um, they've been practicing the music, Christmas music, celebration of carols, and was here Friday night when they taped that uh, celebration of carols to be presented on television, and I can promise you that you'll want to be here tonight to hear the sanctuary choir sing these marvelous Christmas songs as we continue in our celebration of um, Christ's great uh, birth. Would you read along with me as I read from the New American Standard, beginning at verse 22. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be, a, uh, to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Several years ago, a lady in New York City died and left a very strange will. She left a lot of money, a large estate, but she bequeathed everything she owned to God. Her attorneys began to set out to take care of the legal proceedings to um, administer that will. They filed a petition in court naming God the party thereto, and the court duly uh, issued a summons made out to God and set out to um, see if they could present it somehow to Him, which brought great laughter from everybody who was involved as the farce was carried out. 
And after all the legal requirements were met, they made a final report to the court. It read this, After due and diligent search, God cannot be found in New York City. It may be hard to find God in any big city. I mean, have you been to Dallas lately? On Central Expressway, it might be hard to find God in any big city. It might have been hard to find Him 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, indeed. For it was a hustling, bustling city of commerce and economy. It was the meeting place of all sorts of religious notions. It was a city under the occupation of a foreign army with all the problems that that brings. But there was a man in Jerusalem who was looking for God. He was a devout man, a man of faith, a very religious man. He had received a promise. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen God, until he had seen the Messiah. And you imagine the joy that was in this man when he first laid eyes on the five little fingers of God. Can you imagine what must have gone through his heart when first he saw the Messiah. Mary and Joseph had brought Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to God when he first saw him and he rushed up to Mary and Joseph and asked if he could hold him. And when he had him in his arms, the Messiah, he looked on God for the first time. He lifted up his voice and prayed, Now let us, thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation prepared for all thy people. I tell you, you can find God anywhere if you're looking for Him. No one, none of us would have blamed this man if he had given up on God. For there surely wasn't much evidence that God was anywhere to be found. There were 450 years of silence. No prophet spoke, no singer sang, no word from God. We would not have blamed him if he'd given up his quest. For how long do you wait for God? Surely there was no evidence in Jerusalem that God could be found. Slavery was entrenched. Two out of every three people lived in that Roman world with slaves. And poverty walked the streets in rags. Immorality was rampant. Religion was empty. And Rome was cruel and base and abusive. And so it would have surprised no one if this man Simeon had just filed some report to the religious leaders that read like this, after due and diligent search, God cannot be found in His universe. If He ever was here, He is gone. None of us would have blamed Him had He given up. But He didn't. And the difference between the biblical man and other men is that the biblical man never gives up on God. You can find God anywhere if you look for Him. Oh, I suppose there are several things that must be necessary in your quest. There must be a believing heart. Life has a way, doesn't it, of making cynics of all of us. Jesus understood that it was easier for a child to experience the kingdom of heaven than us shell-shocked adults. 
For us, life gets kind of encrusted with layers of, of uh, self-serving rationalizations and, and unrealized expectations and negative experiences. But none of us is too old to believe, for faith is still a matter of just letting go and letting God. I read about a man one time who was going to descend into, the, into this dark, deep well. He was going to impale down the sides of it on a rope that was sufficient, he thought, to reach the bottom of the well. When he got to the end of the rope, to his astonishment, it was not long enough to reach the bottom, and he was not strong enough to climb back up the rope. And so he just kind of clung there, thinking, if I ever turn loose, I'll fall maybe hundreds of feet to my death. But he could hold out no longer, and so he finally gave up and turned loose. He was just three inches from the bottom, three inches from the rock bottom security. Now, some of you this morning who are just three inches from trusting God, but you use all of your energy to cling to your old doubts and your old fears. And Fosdick was right. He who cannot turn loose cannot hang on. I suppose we have to have a believing heart. And I know we have to have a listening ear if we find him. It may be true that these walls have ears, but I know it is true that these ears have walls. And sometimes it's hard to hear God. I read about a man who answered the, a want ad for someone as a job, uh, for the job of, as a telegraph operator using the Morse code. It was during the Depression. He'd lost his job, but during that era of time, he had just, as a hobby, as for fun, he had studied the Morse code, and so he, he thought, maybe I'll have a chance at this job. I'm going to starve to death if I don't get some work. And so when he went to the place, he was all excited about it. When he got to the room, his, just, his heart just sunk, for it was just filled with other men who were there to reply to the same one ad. All had, were there ahead of him. So he sat down to wait his turn. All of a sudden, his face lit up like the sun. And he went rushing into the office. Just a few minutes, the boss came out with his arm around the man and said, all the rest of you can go home. He, the job's just been filled. I just hired this man. Somebody said, well, what happened? What did he say? We were here before him. And the man said, well, this morning early when I came down here, I began to tap out on the window, the Morris Code. If you can understand this message, come in. You've been hired. He said, I've been tapping out that message all morning, loud enough for everybody to hear. You all heard the noise. This man was the only one who listened to the message. I want you to know that thousands of years before Jesus came at Bethlehem, God was tapping out his message of love. And the, and the author of the book of Hebrews said, And God who spoke in past times to the fathers, the prophets, in various ways and in sundry times, has in these last days spoken to us through his Son. God has always been, has always been saying, I love you, some of us have never heard because our ears have been dull to the sound. And I suppose that before we can find him, we're going to have to have the servant mind. Maybe the greatest clue to finding God in Jerusalem was in that little statement that Simeon made himself when he said, Lord, let now thy servant depart in peace. 
It seems to me that a man will find God anywhere if he has the servant attitude, if he's willing to say, Lord, here I am, just take me. As the song goes, I'm willing even, Lord, for you to change my name if you want to. You can find God anywhere you look for Him, regardless of the circumstances. Admiral Howard Howard Rutledge spent six Christmases in a Vietnam prison. He wrote a book, In the Presence of Mine Enemies, and he told about that sixth Christmas in Vietnam. This is what he said about it. He said, It had been six long years since my family and I gathered around our Christmas tree and my eyes filled with tears prompted by the fond memories. But he said, There in my cell that Christmas day, six years since I'd seen my family, I was astounded when I realized how little I knew about the real meaning of Christmas. Oh, I knew that it was Christ's birthday and He was a special person. But it wasn't until that Vietnam prison cell did I realize that all, was a, all the world was a prison before He came. That God had come, invaded this world to seek the prisoner and release him. God risked His life to break down prison doors. God gave His Son to set the captive free. Thus said Howard Rutledge, in a Vietnam cell, I found God. You can find Him there too, whatever the prison of your life. You can find Him in your sorrows. And somehow He just comes breaking through like the sun. And you can find God if you look for Him in the loss of that job. And you can find Him in that lingering illness that's turned your spirit prematurely gray. I tell you, you can find God anywhere you look for Him. But you're most likely to find God in the dark where people are hurting. If you're looking for God this morning, let me save you some time. You won't find Him, perhaps, seated on a throne dressed in satin and finery on velvet cushions barking out orders to subservient servants. You won't find Him there. You'll probably find God in the dark where men are hurting and are lost. For the message of Christmas is that God is willing to come to the squalor and the suffering and the poverty and the slavery of man. He has come to the reality of man's suffering and need. Well, what could be more real than the birth of a baby in a stable without the benefit of OB or white table or anesthetic? Just nothing there but but pain and blood and dirt and helplessness and cattle. And all of a sudden, the reality of that world broke into the reality of our world. And God is saying in that Christmas message, I'm willing to get into this fouled up life of yours with all of its hardship and its temptation and its pain. What could be more real than spit and curses of men and nails and blood and a cross? If you're looking for God, you'll probably find Him right in the midst of your suffering, for there's where he's most likely to come. A few years ago, Margaret and I stood outside Buckingham Palace. In fact, 
we were outside those, uh, big, that big iron fence that separates Buckingham Palace from the rest of the world. And the uh, queen was in residence because the flag was flying over the palace. That means the queen's home. Somewhere in that palace, that, that woman was cloistered. The most prominent, wealthiest person in all of Great Britain whose vast holdings amounts to billions of dollars with a B. Standing outside that gate, watching the changing of the guard, we know it's a little man. He'd sat there every day, a little bird man. He had on a black rain slicker and had on a cap, and he was just covered with birds. If you've ever been to Buckingham Palace, you've seen him. Those black swallows that, that gather around there. He was just covered with them. And he had birds feed, and he would hold, they'd come up to the end of his cap brim, and he'd feed one, he'd step off, another take its place. He fed those birds there, sitting there, hunched up against a biting cold wind. Somewhere just a few feet beyond was the wealthiest woman in all of Great Britain. Sitting there outside the iron gate was a bird man covered with a flock of birds and bird droppings. I wonder where God, where you'd find God. Would he be in the halls of that cloistered in that ivory palace or would he be sitting hunched up beside that bird man standing against the wind? I think you and I know the answer to that question. And a man wrote a little story one time. It's an apocryphal story about Jesus making a, a, an appearance in anywhere, anywheresville, USA. could be Durant. He's going to come on Christmas Eve to downtown Anywheresville, 3 o'clock. Man, everybody was getting ready. I mean, you're going to have, this is going to be the big event in the, count, in, in the county. They got the Baptist preacher, the pastor of the Brick Church to, to, to do the invocation. The mayor is going to be there to give the key to the city. The senator from the county seat town was going to be there to make the welcome. I mean, the band was going to be there. School was going to let out, you know. They, the band was going to be there if they could just put together some kind of a band arrangement of uh, the Lord's Prayer, you know. They'd pray that. Pom-pom girls were there. I mean, they closed shop and had street vendors on the sidewalk, you know. It was a big event. The siren was blowing. Everybody was there. The sheriff's posse, all of us were there. But Jesus. The pastor straightened his tie for about the 63rd time. He was so nervous, pulled on that new suit he bought over at Penny's, you know, that, that vest is kind of crawling up that uh, rotund stomach of his, and the mayor was wringing his hands. Everybody's wondering where Jesus was. Three o'clock had passed, no Jesus. Surely wasn't that rude. All of a sudden, somebody came pushing through the crowd, came up and whispered in the ear of the the nervous mayor, and the mayor made the announcement, there's been some mistake. Somebody thinks they just saw Jesus sitting on the curb down at the housing project, talking to that boy that the sheriff arrested last week for smoking dope. Martin Luther was probably right when he said, we give the wrong impression at Christmas time. We have too many trees, he said, and too many lights in the windows and in the businesses. For he said, God has come to the dark where men are lost. What Christmas means is that God has invaded man, the reality of man's suffering, and He's come right into the midst of your need and mine, and He's made His appearance where men 
are hurting and are haunted. You can find God anywhere if you look for Him, but you're most likely to find Him in the reality of man's hurt. But when you find God in a manger, in the arm of a mother, that's a serendipity. You know what, a, what that word means, don't you? Serendipity means, the definition of that means a, the faculty of making new and unexpected discoveries. So a spiritual serendipity would be the faculty of making new and unexpected discoveries of God. Now who would ever expect to find God in a manger? Perhaps one of the greatest spiritual serendipities of all took place in the garden outside the tomb. And Mary came there to anoint the body of Jesus and on her way she was wondering how the stone would be rolled away. When she got there, that was no problem. The stone was already rolled back. Now she had a new worry. She couldn't find the body of Jesus. And behind her, a man's voice spoke and said, Mary, what are you looking for? What do you seek? She, supposing it was the gardener, said, They've taken the body of my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And he called her name. It was the Lord. He called her name Mary, and she recognized the name. She recognized the voice, and she turned around and cried, Rabboni, teacher. She thought it was the gardener, and she turned around and discovered that it was the Lord. Isn't it amazing that you go to a manger and you find a monarch? You go to a stable and you find the sovereign. You go to Bethlehem and you find the king. You go back to the midst of your needs, to the midst of your hurts, and there in the midst of them you find God. What a serendipity. And so Cynthia Hosnick said, it makes a lot of difference whether the Messiah has come, for if he has not appeared, then this old world is still profane and our task is to rest him forth. But if he has appeared, if he has cleft the flesh of history, then this world at this moment has been transfigured into something sacred. He has cleft the flesh of history and he has transformed this world at this moment into something sacred so that anything that happens in any place we discover him and that's serendipity. A few years ago in a little fourth grade classroom in Des Moines, Iowa, the teacher decided she would help the children to identify and define new words. One of them was the word serendipity. And these kids were supposed to give a definition of it and illustrate it. Now you can imagine what that was like. So they looked up the definition of serendipity and they illustrated it. The best one, the winner. 
this boy turned in the picture of a, of a, of a caterpillar. I mean, one of these worms, you know, fuzzy worms. And it showed how that, that worm, you know, uh, he drew pictures best he could, that worm making a cocoon. And outside the cocoon, he drew a picture of a butterfly. And he put his explanation. This is what serendipity means to me. The caterpillar thought he was dying when he was really being born. And you came into the service this morning, thought it was just like any other service. Thought, well, it's Christmas time, we better go to church. Beautiful Christmas music, beautiful poinsettias. Preacher will say something about Christmas. And you came here this morning just like every other day. You thought you were dying. And you're just being born. You thought you'd come hear a preacher. And somehow you hear God. You thought you'd come hear the choir sing. And you hear the Holy Spirit speak. Can I ask you one question? What, be the, what would be the benediction of your life? Have you ever thought about it? Simeon's benediction was, Now let my, thy servant depart in peace, for I have seen all my promises fulfilled, and I've seen all my dreams realized. What would it take for you to say something like that? I mean, would it, what would have to happen before you could say, Now I'm ready to die? Would it be that you'd see your children grown? Would it be that you'd make some money and have some time to spend it? Would it be that you'd get that house built or that new car bought and paid for or that new church building finished? What would be the benediction of your life? For Simeon, he was saying, I'm ready to die. For all my promises are fulfilled, all my expectations are realized. I have seen the Lord, and that's the most important thing to me. Would you bow for prayer? Our Father, I pray that you will come now to this moment with us. And where our ears have been dull to hear, that you'd enable us to hear what you have to say, what you have for us to do. Where our eyes have been blind, that you'd give us sight to see what you'd have us to do. And Father, I pray that if there are those this morning who have never experienced who have never come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they've been looking, searching for something they didn't know what to meet the need, to fill the void. I pray their eyes will see Him, their heart will know Him, their faith will trust Him. And Lord, I pray that You'll break through today to some of us 
your word and your will that we have not yet done that this moment will be the most sacred and important and changing moment in our life I pray this in Jesus' name, and I ask it for his sake.